Hello and welcome everybody to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. Uh, just me, just the icon Chris Stork here with you today uh, as we take a look at K-State's big Farmageddon showdown with the Iowa State Cyclones on Saturday. And uh, we'll also kind of catch you up uh, on what the Big 12 race is looking like. It, it's coming down uh, to the wire really where about half the teams in the league uh, have a chance to get to Arlington. So we're going to touch on that and preview K-State's big game with Iowa State on Saturday. So let's go ahead and get right into it. Iowa State gets the uh, gets the uh, position of being at the top of the Big 12 standings with a 5-1 and one record. K-State sitting there with three other teams, or two other teams, excuse me, with Oklahoma and Texas at 4-2. and two. So we're looking here at this, and Iowa State has a little bit of margin for error. You know, they're, them and Oklahoma State are the only two teams with uh, with one loss. Oklahoma State goes on the road this weekend uh, for Bedlam, which college game day will be there for. And when you look at that game, Oklahoma, I believe, is about a touchdown favor in that one. Okay, so you look at that. It's an, it's an elimination game. Any, any team from now on that's playing with two losses has – there's no you can't get to the Big 12 title game with three losses. I don't think that's going to happen. So that's why I'm not including West Virginia, even though they might be as playing well as about anybody right now. I, they they dropped one uh, to Texas uh, two weeks ago that kind of ended their chance, or two or three weeks ago that ended their chance to uh, to get to to Arlington for that game. But they're playing good. Uh, they're, they're they might be as dangerous of any as any team and. Uh, Iowa State still has to uh, still has to uh, take on West Virginia, and that's the last game of the season. So Iowa State's not out of the out of the woods here yet either, just because they're five and one in the conference. They've got K State, Texas, and West Virginia to close out. But I want to kind of shed the light there on that first before we get going here, because this is a big week here for the state of what the Big Twelve is. There are only two games, uh, KU and Texas got postponed. Uh, they're going to be making that up a little bit later, but um, I want to talk first about Bedlam. I think that's going to be a really interesting game, and I want to give you a pick on that. I think Oklahoma State is a little bit uncertain right now. There's been some, obviously, when they played K-State, K-State had outplayed them for the entire first half but fell apart there in the second, not doing anything really, especially in the third quarter, which allowed Oklahoma State to, to get the lead going in the fourth quarter, and then um, and then we're, we're able to hold on for a victory there. So. I want to touch on the, this Bedlam game first before we get into Iowa State and K-State. Is I think this game is going to be really interesting. Oklahoma State's defense is one of the better ones in the conference. We, we touched on that last, uh, last podcast when we were breaking down that game beforehand. Oklahoma has really kind of hit their stride. They've won four in a row. Spencer Rattler's done what he's needed to do in terms of eliminating the careless freshman-type mistakes, which you saw early on in terms of his talent. It's immense. I mean, he is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the country, and he's going to be a an eventual number one pick in the draft whenever he decides to come out. Uh, he, he's a fantastic player. Now, Spitzer Sanders can do some things. You see a little bit of inconsistency, and both of these quarterbacks do have some inconsistencies in that respect. Making some turn or making some careless passes, we saw a little bit, uh, you know, with that with Rattler in the first in the his first conference game against K State. I think Oklahoma's the best team in the conference. I expect them to win this game, and I expect them to do it uh, 
pretty well. With Stevenson back there at, at running back, I think he's added a run uh, dimension to that running game that they didn't quite have before. He's a big, bruising bowling ball that can that can get to that second level too and run by as well. So I, I'm like an Oklahoma in this game by two scores. I think Oklahoma's the best team in the conference, and you know they've got the tiebreaker over Texas of the two lost teams currently. They don't have the tiebreaker over Iowa State and K State, which makes this game with K State and Iowa State. An elimination game for K-State, of course, but Iowa State, you know, they have, have the ability right now. It's a game with K-State that they feel like they should win. They're an 11-point favorite. But when was the last time that K-State and Iowa State played a, a non-exciting, you know, just cut cut and dry game where it doesn't come down to either uh, the fourth quarter or late in the fourth quarter or a final play possibly, as we saw with Skylar Thompson in 2017 hitting uh, Isaiah Zuber for the win there. So in this game, let's kind of backtrack here just a little bit to what Iowa State's been doing here um, over over the last month or so. So they lost to Oklahoma State in Stillwater. They lost to them 24-21. Close game. Iowa State scored a late touchdown to make it look a little bit closer. But Oklahoma State had really made it tough on Iowa State throughout that game. When you look at it, Brock Purdy has been kind of hit and miss, but more miss than than hit, unfortunately, for the Cyclones so far this season. I think you know most Cyclone fans would tell you that. I saw an article from uh, Pro Football Focus that ranked uh, – or that's, that made mention that – Brock Purdy is one of the more disappointing players so far here in the 2020 season. Now, Brock Purdy has the ability to make plays. We've seen that uh, throughout his time at Iowa State. But in his most recent game against Iowa State, three interceptions. He'll he'll turn the ball over. There's been there's you see that of course with any of these quarterbacks. There's been some inconsistency this year, and I think that has to do with you know not having maybe your full. you, you know, be, being able to establish rapport with receivers early on in the season, then just kind of getting thrown in and trying to figure it out during the season. I think there's a lot to be said about that. But uh, Iowa State, they're playing some good football. They, they've taken care uh, of business in games that they really should win. Um, and they pulled an upset early uh, against Oklahoma uh, in a game that Oklahoma looked like they had in control. But Iowa State was able to make plays in, in the special teams department that, that really set them up, and, and they, they ended up winning that game. And The Oklahoma State game is the only game that they've lost since their, their, since their season opener uh, to Louisiana. So when you look at what Iowa State's done, they've won the games that they're supposed to, but the meat of their schedule is really now kind of getting – they're going to kind of get to that meat here with K-State – Texas and West Virginia, who I would say are are all teams in the top half of the Big 12. Now, Iowa State gets these games at home, so that bodes well for them. But let's get jump in right here to, to the K-State uh, game here as we, as we break it down. K-State really should have beat Oklahoma State. There's no question about it. They outplayed them entirely in the first half, shut them out. Had it not been for Will Howard fumble, in the red zone that was scooped and scored. K-State wins that game. They win it, and I think they win it by a touchdown. But when K-State goes, and I'm getting it pulled up here, their first three drives of the second half, 
three plays and out, two yards. Three plays and out, minus four yards. Three plays and out, eight yards. Before, uh, and at that time, by the time they uh, get the ball back after their for their fourth possession of the second half, what was a 12-0 lead at halftime has now been evaporated. It's a 13-12 Oklahoma State lead. So when you look at what K-State needs to do against Iowa State, to me it's simple. You have to slow down Brees Hall. Uh, K-State fans will remember that name. Uh, of course, Brees Hall uh, was a, a kid out of Wichita that K-State was desperately trying to get. Uh, I know Michigan was in on him as well. Very highly ballyhooed player. Uh, coming out of the Wichita metro area. For me, he's the key uh, of K-State's chances on Saturday. If they can slow him down, and that's no that's no small task. With Brees Hall, you're going to get a guy, last, uh, last time out against Baylor, 31 carries, 133 yards, and two touchdowns. One of the better running backs in the, in the conference. I'd say probably the best running back in the conference. They use him, uh, and, and they're not afraid to use him. I mean, uh, of course, when you see 31 carries, you don't see a lot of running backs in this day and age get that kind of uh, get that kind of uh, workload. And he's going to be leaned on heavily. Weather could be a little nasty up in Ames this week, so that's something to keep an eye on as well. But the run game for Iowa State is, is really what their bread and butter is, and that's something that K-State has had a little bit of trouble defending against. Um, of course, too, when you look at what K-State brings up defensively into that game, K-State's been hit hard by COVID, as as you may have read. There's some serious concern that we might not have enough players to be able to, to get going here for this game. But as of uh, recording this uh, late Thursday evening, all systems are, are still go here. I do think that this game is going to be played. Now, what does K-State got to do to be able to slow down Iowa State? And I think it's it's really solved to me at the linebacking core. Justin Hughes, Daniel uh, Green, and Elijah Sullivan are going to be big factors in this. And we, we've talked about the linebackers. I know uh, me and uh, Delu here, we've gotten into it and we've said, you know, the linebacking core hasn't quite lived up to maybe the expectations we had for it. This is a game that K-State isn't going to have to really worry a ton about Brock Purdy running. I mean, he's not a Spencer Sanders where he's, you know, really a, a, he's a dual, Brock Purdy's a dual threat quarterback, but he's not the explosive kind of runner that you see uh, with Spencer Sanders. I look for K-State to really key on Brees Hall and say, you know what, we're going to make Purdy try to beat us with his arm, which he can do, but last time out against Baylor, 15 of 24, 160 yards, three touchdowns, but also three interceptions. So K-State's going to have to be opportunistic, uh, looking to, to win the turnover battle, which K-State has not done a great job of taking care of the ball in their last two times out against West Virginia turning the ball over and against uh, Oklahoma State turning the ball over, of course, with a crucial Will Howard fumble uh, that went the other way for six points for Oklahoma State. So if K-State's able to slow Brees Hall down and make Brock Purdy beat him through the air, I think that's the game plan for K-State. Also, I think K-State has to do something to establish some sort of running game. And, you know, K-State scores 18 points, doesn't do anything offensively throughout the entire third quarter. But when you look at it, they roll up 
143 yards through the air, 227 on the ground. By far the best ground game that they have established so far through the, through this season, and a lot of it came with Will Howard running the ball. I expect K-State to lean on the quarterback run game early and often, and they need to be find ways to be creative with running the ball. You know, I thought they even ran the ball. Harry Trotter, uh, nine carries for 43 yards. Deuce Vaughn, 17 for 40. Deuce only averaging about two and a half a carry. Deuce is much better on the outside. Uh, he can get the ball out to, on, on those stretch plays out to the outside or, you know, get the ball on a, on a jet sweep. Something like that is going to be where he is most effective. And with Trotter, it's got to be right through the tackle. And granted, he is not an explosive running back, uh, you know, as, as what you would see with maybe Brees Hall, of course. But K-State's going to have to find ways to, to get the ball uh, moving on the ground, and I think the biggest factor there is Will Howard. Uh, of course, we've seen him run the ball well. Uh, he had a big run against TCU. He had big runs against uh, Oklahoma State as well. I think if K-State's going to have some success on the ground, it's going to be with Will Howard, and I look for K-State to lean on that quarterback run game. I want to also touch on K-State's wide receivers. This is a, an issue that – K-State's going to be a little bit shorthanded in that they've been shorthanded at the, at the receiving core all year long. Uh, they're tight ends with Sammy Wheeler now out for the season and, and Briley Moore being a, a game-time decision as he's been uh, labeled going into this game. If K-State can have Briley Moore available, that would be huge for what K-State wants to do through the air. Right now, I think it's a coin flip on if he's able to play. Otherwise, I don't know quite where the explosiveness comes from. Phillip Brooks and Malik Knowles are your really your two best uh, wide receiving options outside of Deuce Vaughn, but teams have seemed to find ways to kind of bracket and neutralize Deuce in the passing game. He's become much more of a focal point, which we we you know we could all see coming uh, when he has those big games early on in the passing game, going five wide and having a match up in the slots on linebackers and safeties. They found ways to uh, give their – defenses have found ways to give more help to, uh, to their players in those situations. So when I look at it, K-State's going to have to run the ball well to have any chance in this game. Going through the, this on, on a matchup basis, I think this is not a great matchup for K-State. I think Iowa State's defense is pretty darn solid. And I think K-State's going to have a tough time getting that going. So that's why I think the quarterback run game – where you can pick up that extra man uh, in, in, the, in the run counts is going to be crucial. So let's get to a prediction. Both teams are coming in off a of bye week. K-State's had a little bit of extra time to prepare, as is Iowa State, but K-State's coming in a little bit more shorthanded than Iowa State. Iowa State has no COVID-related issues. K-State's battling some. It's a bit of a homecoming game uh, for K-State offensive coordinator Courtney Messingham, having been the former offensive coordinator at Iowa State. I think he's going to call up a well of a game here. And I actually like K-State in this one. I think K-State, it's going to come down to, to, to the biggest key for me here is which quarterback between Will Howard and Brock Purdy makes less mistakes. And I think Mess is going to have something up his sleeve for his old employer. And I like K-State in this one, 27-24. to 24. So I'm picking the Cats. K-State's got nothing to lose in this game. Iowa State... Maybe uh, coming in maybe a little too confident. I'm taking K-State here in a three-point uh, decision, 27 
to 24. I'm also going to touch on something here after a short break, kind of on what my thoughts are. K-State had another player leave uh, the program, transferring out with Will Jones. That makes nine players who have left the program since here the start of the season uh, via the transfer portal. I'm going to give my thoughts on that here after the break. Nice to have you with us here on the Short Side Option podcast. And uh, before we wrap up uh, this edition of the Short Side Option, I wanted to touch on some parting thoughts that I had uh, regarding K-State having some players transfer out of the program here uh, since the start of the season. Uh, as I made mention, nine players have left the program since, uh, since the beginning of the season. Those players are Walter Neal, Jonathan Alexander, Tyrone Lewis, Ronald Triplett, Matthew Polamau, Josh Youngblood, Thomas Grayson, Demarcus Hayes, and Will Jones. Uh, Will Jones being the most recent of uh, the players to have transferred out. And, you know, this isn't necessarily something that I think is a K-State issue, but more of kind of a weeding out process, if you will, uh, by, by climate and staff. Now, I run down that list of nine players, and gosh, when you think about that, you see nine players. Well, man, that's a lot of players to have, to have left a program here in, in two months. And you're not wrong. That is quite a few players. Now, six of, from my math, six of the nine uh, are from Kleiman's first class at K-State, which you'll remember he got hired, oh gosh, I want to say it was about the middle of December. And, you know, at that point, he's having to kind of scramble a little bit to fill a class. And maybe it's a little bit of not being able to fully vet, you know, maybe some of the character, some of the, you know, really are these guys a great fit for, for the program in terms of that, what they're trying to build. And, you know, I, I look at it as these are guys that, not every single one, I don't, I'm not going to say that, but I think most of these guys are being asked to, you know, find different places to play. Um, you know, when I look at this list too, I, I have check marks next to Walter Neal, Jonathan Alexander, Josh Youngblood, and Will Jones. These are all guys that played a lot. Uh, as as freshmen and true freshmen um, at, at that, as far as that goes, I mean, Will Jones was had started the game against West Virginia. He's was probably going to be starting at Nickelback next year, uh, provided AJ Parker uh, decides to move on. Now, Grant, he could come back, of course, with everyone getting an extra year of eligibility. But this isn't something that's overly concerning, you know. In in John Kurtz. Uh, from KMAN in, in Manhattan had had a really nice monologue on this that I that I came across uh, yesterday on YouTube and I'll be sure to link that uh, you know here with the podcast where he he goes on in, in a little bit further depth that it, it's not just a K State issue I mean transfer numbers are up astronomically from where you would expect it to be in, in a normal season now with COVID nineteen and. Also, with uh, legislation that's going to be passed here by the NCAA, uh, presumably here at the end of the season, where players are going to be able to achieve one free transfer. You, you don't have to set out. You get that, uh, you know, as one free get-out-of-jail card in terms of uh, of wanting to go someplace else. Also, too, as, as you may be aware, uh, name, image, and likeness is something that appears to be, you know, also inevitable where players will be able to make, uh, you know, whatever they're able to make essentially based on their own name, image, and likeness, whether if it's marketing opportunities, what have you of that nature. 
Which leads me to a bigger point. The free transfer rule, while in theory, yeah, you know, hey, I, I, you know, no one, just because you sign someplace, you know, as an 18-year-old doesn't mean you have to stay there for four or five years. People transfer all the time. But this one free transfer thing, I think, sets a really dangerous precedent. And I think it really hurts programs like K-State that are not, you know, positioned to where they're going to be able to be the most marketable programs in the college football landscape. You know, you have a guy like, let's say, Deuce Vaughn. Plays, you know, he's been, uh, he's probably going to go as a freshman All-American this year. And, you know, let's say Texas comes knock and say, you know what, we might be able to get you, come back home here to the great state of Texas and, you know, maybe be able to put you in a car commercial, whatever the case is. But they're going to be, these big boys are going to be able to cherry pick some of the, the better players from these universities that maybe don't have quite the resources which is something that has always been a concern to me with the name, image, and likeness thing. And also when you throw in the free transfer thing, it's a perfect opportunity for these, for these schools to prey upon that. And to me, I think the bigger issue is I think you're pretty naive if you don't think some, uh, some tampering has been going on throughout the college, college football landscape. I'm not necessarily saying any of these uh, individuals have been tampered with. I'm not, I'm not insinuating that at all. But when there's going to be this open free agency uh, that's going to take place here in uh, here in January or February, whenever this gets passed by the NCAA for the free transfer, with it being such a foregone conclusion, I think it would be naive to say that that isn't happening already. So something to keep an eye on. But in terms of you seeing these numbers of players transfer out of the program, it's nothing I'm overly concerned with in terms of, you know, oh, my gosh. What's going on? Why are all these players wanting to leave? Is, is Kleiman running a bad program? I don't think that's the case at all. So I think it's just a really a, the nature of the beast of where college football finds itself and is something that is going to be worth monitoring uh, here throughout the next several months. So something to keep an eye on, but I'm going to link that uh, John Kurtz uh, monologue because I think he does a good job on kind of touching, uh, you know, in maybe a little bit further depth uh, about what's going on in the program. And I think K-State fans should, should rest easy in terms of the kind of program that Chris Kleiman is building. Well, that'll do it here for this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. Uh, don't quite know exactly what the schedule will be like going forward. We'll try to bring something to you next week because K-State's got a big game on the road at Baylor, hopefully keeping alive a trip to Arlington as a possibility. And with my projection of K-State uh, upending the Cyclones, K-State will be in that position as they head into the final two games of the season. That will do it here for this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. Thanks for listening, and go Cats!